Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. everyone and welcome to this spoiler review for the first two episodes of obi-wan kenobi here from the geek buddies okay okay is the show you're looking for absolutely we are going to get into the first two episodes of kenobi here over the next hour talking about everything we liked and didn't like about the first two episodes and of course i'm here at star wars celebration uh mikey and shannon over there back in la so we're gonna have a little fun conversation for sure uh but let's introduce ourselves i am the outlaw john roker writer producer and host here on the geek buddies and the outlaw nation mike hello there (laughs) Oh, Lord. <laughs> I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Nominated Strawberry Shortcake Fairy in the Big City. Nice. On Netflix right now. Absolutely. That's true. So good. So good. Uh, and, of course, big shout out to Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Thank you so much to them for powering and sponsoring this review as well. Go to CarbonHealth.com. they got 100-plus locations for any healthcare needs you need across the country. 50-plus locations in California alone. It's a big state, so that's why. Uh, also, they do a lot of covid testing and they're selling these testing packs and you know the numbers are starting to go up we're seeing the news articles more and more coming out now Uh, la has become a hot spot again san diego's moved to medium i found this out last night so you got to be careful and i've been super careful to be not a lot of not near a lot of people at star wars celebration because of the numbers going up so in case i am i certainly want to go get tested over there at carbonhealth.com so go to carbonhealth.com get the app as well to put a doc in your pocket it's a doctor in your pocket for you. John's you. being so careful. He's sitting on the floor right now. Yeah, so on a nice pillow. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> that's like oh. Best angle I found in the hotel room. So. Uh, all right, let's jump into. By the this way, thing. that's what yeah. I want. I want like a. I want like a documentary of you in different locations, checking the light, looking at it, like. I'm, I, yeah. I would. That's the content I want. You either, you either <laughs> you're gonna have to bleep out a lot or make an X-rated film because there's a lot of cussing. That doesn't. 
work? All right, anyway. Um, all right, let's jump into this thing here. Obi-Wan, the much-anticipated Obi-Wan Kenobi. They dropped the first two episodes at 9 p.m. PT on the West Coast. Kind of a surprise. People thought it would be 12 a.m., but they had released the first two episodes for people at Star Wars Celebration uh, uh, just a couple of hours before that. And so it wasn't too far out of the um, cycle that you missed out on talking about Kenobi that night. So, uh, so much happened in this. We've got the return of Ewan McGregor. He's, you know, he's essentially a, a, a masterless samurai, a ronin in essence, or you could call him a gunslinger who's put away his guns, questioning his faith, questioning his abilities. It's 10 years later. We've got the Inquisitors coming after Kenobi, at least one Inquisitor really coming after Kenobi and Reva. And we replace Luke with Leia. My God, Leia becomes the central focus here. What a phenomenal surprise in this show. So, Michael, I go to you first. What do you feel walking away from the first two episodes? I imagine you've watched it more than once. What is your feeling about the uh, overall about Obi-Wan Kenobi? Overall, I could not be happier. Really? I am okay. so thrilled. I love this. I think I think like right now, at least based on these first two episodes, this stands to possibly be the best of the Star Wars series so far, mm. overall, uh, taken as a whole. Now, it could go a lot of different directions, and I yeah. do have a couple quibbles. Uh, I know Shannon has more than quibbles, but like <laughs> I have a couple things that bugged me, irked me, things like a couple scenes here or there that didn't work great for me, and we'll get into the specifics on that, but taken as a whole... Uh, with the anticipation surrounding this, with how many things could go wrong, kind of opening up this story of Anakin and Obi-Wan. Like, I think as far as these first two episodes go, uh, they, they, they did great. Like, I yeah. am thrilled and am ready to battle my geek buddy, Mr. McClung, on this. <laughs> I am ready to battle. Uh, um, Shannon, all right, so as Mike has hyped you up here, bring it on. What are your feelings walking away from these first two episodes? You know, I think it's okay. Um, This is is a show that I really, really want to like, but there are some aspects, um, some choices that I I don't feel were the strongest. There's some uh, directorial choices that coming off of two of the best episodes Mm. of Mandalorian season one, I'm shocked that happened and it's like oh okay was it is it the brain trust of of the mandalorian sort of that group of directors is that what is that why the show was so good because looking at some of those fantastic scenes that deborah chow directed i don't feel like we're seeing a lot of that right now for the action on the whole i feel it's pretty weak and very unimaginative at this Mm. point that being said i love you mcgregor i love joel edgerton um, I, I don't love the Leia choice. Um, I just feel like in, with Disney Plus series, this is the third time now we're going with the child that we had Grogu in the Mandalorian, we had Omega in the Bad Batch, and now we got Leia and Obi Wan. Like to yeah. me, this is this is becoming a little tired. But this is the this is the direction they chose to go. I think the young actress was Vivian Lyra Blair. I think yeah. she definitely embodies that that Leia spirit, even if um, she's not being showcased the way that I think she could be. Mm. Um, but there was still plenty that I liked. So I'm I'm optimistic. I imagine I will not be very popular in the comments. <laughs> um, but that is that is what I'm taking from it right now. Yeah, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle between you guys. I did like a lot of what we got in the first two episodes, but that second episode really kind of goes off the rails in a way that I personally didn't want to have it go off the rails. And I think because they made such a big deal of saying this is a man who is struggling with his face, struggling with his uh, uh, commitment to the Jedi, struggling with what happened, the loss of Anakin, the loss of the war, the loss of all the Jedi. 
you know, I thought we'd find a much more grizzled, hangdog, destroyed Kenobi uh, than we found who is not going to just because Leia's in trouble, going to break his coat and go after her. I thought that was a bit too easy that already in the second episode, he's willing to go into the Jedi world again. And so to me, it was just a little bit. I had some issues with the second episode, but the first episode I thoroughly loved. And I really like the introduction of the Inquisitors, although I may have some issues uh, about uh, them going forward. But um, I'm interested, certainly by the last frame of the second episode, I was absolutely excited to see what we were going to get next in the next four episodes, which we're not that far away from. The next episode drops on Wednesday. Uh, so let's go back to you, Michael. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, the story here. You know, he's essentially part of the production line for a Benihana in Tatooine there, cutting up sushi <laughs> for a from a sand shark there. Uh, and, and he, you know, he's living in the cave by himself. He's got his little gadgets, got a little Jawa friend of his. Uh, which is a really funny scene. And he's basically living there. He's got Owen. He's spying on Luke. He's dropping little gifts off for Luke to kind of, kind of like that phantom uncle um, who's not really liked by the family, which happens. I'm sure there are families who have those uncles. And Owen confronting him. And then we have that scene later on where um, uh, uh, Bail Organa and his wife go on, uh, go on hologram and be like, hey, you got to come save Leia. And then eventually he does acquiesce to doing so. Um, in the second episode, and we have this adventure of him in the second episode mm -hmm. going up against a fake Jedi, then, uh, you know, somehow being outwitted by Leia for a while, then eventually proving that he is a Jedi, and then leaving with Leia on that transporter after he has found out that Anakin is still alive and Vader sitting alongside Palpatine. So how do you feel that they handled Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi in these first two episodes? Um, I think they handled him great. I, I mean, first of all, it... I was talking to a friend of mine, and again, I make no bones about this. Like, the prequels aren't my favorite, although yeah. I have definitely come to respect them a lot more than I used to. Uh, and I think sure. there's a lot to like. But I think that we can all agree that George Lucas as a director doesn't necessarily do his actors any favors. Yeah. And that whether it's Ewan McGregor or Natalie Portman or Hayden Christensen or Samuel L. Jackson or anybody, actors who we know to be really amazing have some cheesy moments in the prequels. And I think that maybe one of the main things that I've loved so much about these two episodes is that you get to see you and McGregor just fucking go for it. And he mm. really reminds you why he is such a well-respected actor. Like he isn't just embodying this character in such an amazing way. And no matter what's happening on screen, whether he is fighting bad guys on Dio or cutting up, uh, you know, desert sushi. Like he's just magnetic to look at. I mean, yes. that scene with him in the Jawa is so great. Yeah. Uh, it's a really well-written, really funny scene, but it's really great in part because his dry delivery to this Jawa where he's just like, could you maybe just clean this after you steal it? Just, that would be great. Like he's just got this perfect Obi-Wan Kenobi delivery. I mean, he's yeah. embodying the character. And so like, as an anchor for the series, like he is magnetic to watch. So like yeah. we are on board with him as a character from the get go. And I think that's the strongest thing going for this. As far as the setup for the story, I disagree with you a little bit, John, okay. about the second episode. I mean, I have my issues with the second episode, but I, I feel like, you know, with six episodes, you gotta get him moving. And I thought yeah. they did a really nice job, A, he didn't jump up and run when Bail Organa was no, like, he did. Leia's done. He said no. no the first time until right. Bail actually came back and was like, you got to get your shit together. Yeah. And then that entire second episode, for better or for worse, Obi-Wan Kenobi is not at full Clone Wars level Kenobi here. I mean, right. he, he, you, he 
gets hurt punching the guy in the hallway. Like, he doesn't quite know what he's doing. To your point, he can barely contain Leia as she's running around yeah. the city streets. And then that moment where he finally uses the Force, I mean... This is a guy who can really use the force. We've seen him do it a lot, and he barely gets her before she catches. So I think they actually did a really nice job of that second episode serving to be like, this guy's pretty rusty after 10 years. So even though, yes, he is doing it, and uh, uh, he's you know he's got a ways to go. So I think that was actually really interesting and something I liked about the second episode. Um, and then, look, as far as the use of Leia... Um, I don't disagree with Shannon or anyone else on Twitter that's like, yes, the Star Wars formula of older, established character taking care of younger, more helpless character is definitely something they are doing a lot of. Right. But given the setup of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is the dude is in the desert watching over Luke, I think it would have been really easy and expected for him to do that for Luke. And I think yeah. the switching it up and bringing Leia in was great. Um because as Bail Organa points out, and he was kind of speaking up for an entire generation of female Star Wars fans, she's just as important as Luke is. Yeah, like, yeah. it once you set up this whole idea that these are twins, which granted in the in the original trilogy maybe came a little bit later, it makes sense that if something happens to either of them, you know, it, like we're so used to the Obi-Wan Kenobi watching over Luke and he's on Tatooine yeah. and this is what's happening. But I think switching it up and bringing Leia in and kind of being like, yo, you have an equal responsibility here right. was a big surprise. And granted, I'm a huge Leia fan. So you show me Alderaan and a young Leia and I'm going to eat it up. But yeah. I thought like it was really interesting to go down that road. Now, okay. I do agree that if all six episodes are Leia and Obi-Wan on a road trip, it'll probably get a little bit more into Mandalorian territory. I'm hoping that once yeah. we get Leia out of this next episode, I hope we sort of settle that and things progress to more of an Obi-Wan Anakin kind of thing. So, you know, it, it still has a lot of uh, mileage to stick the landing really hard or yeah. meander off. But as far as like the overall story, I really dug it so far. I have some issues with okay. Reva. I have some questions with- We'll get to uh, that. We'll get plot, to that. Let but I'll hold on to those. Okay, hold on to those. Okay, uh, 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 Shannon, Kenobi, talk to me. How, how do you feel about Ewan McGregor's performance? And then what they put him through in the first two episodes. I mean, is Mike right? Did you feel like they set it up? I mean, there was that moment where he wanted to go after the guy, the big burly guy who was kind of mistreating his fellow worker there for giving them half the price, but doesn't act on it. So um, was that meant to like lay a little bit of the groundwork that he maybe he's come to this point a decade later where his instincts to fight are either starting to come back up or they're just have always been there, but he's never been able to put them away fully. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it, see that's and I think that's an issue with the writing. Is mm. I, I think his performance. Oh, it's, I, yeah, I, I can't I can't say anything better than Vogel did. I think you know Ewan McGregor is a magnetic performer. He has so many fantastic scenes in this, and getting to watch him really flex, flex those Kenobi muscles, those yeah, yeah, acting yeah. muscles. I mean, it's fantastic. And I think you could have gone further. I mean, I agree with you, John. There, there is definitely a darker version of this show that um, I would have liked to have seen, but that's not that's not the path they decided to go down. For, for his point of view right now, it's a little inconsistent because he tells Nari, we lost, stay hidden, live a normal life, go back to the town where the Inquisitors are, which is stupid advice. Yeah. Um, but also he tells Owen, when Luke comes of age, he has to be trained. It's like, why? Yeah. Like yeah. if you're if you've lost, if you're if you're living this if you're living this normal life, no, the last thing this kid should should happen. It, 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 he should not be trained. You should listen to Owen, yeah. let him live his life. So that's where I think in the writing, it's just a little inconsistent. Now, the moment that he does decide to go on this adventure, um, 
I, I'm all in. Like, I love the fact that we saw Alderaan. I love the scene with Leia and her cousin where she where she dresses oh him down. Totally. Uh, I, and uh, a part of this, even though I don't love the Leia choice, a part of this that I do really like. And I, I see from a story standpoint, you kind of want to get Leia out of the way so you can focus on Obi-Wan and Anakin. But, I, you know, the hope is that Obi-Wan has a real has a real profound effect on her life. So when she names her son Ben, it's from yeah. a personal experience and yeah. not the name of, you know, her brother's mentor who she never met. Yeah. Um, so that's where I just think some of the writing is just a little inconsistent. And uh, the fact that Leia is able to escape him so easily, yeah. um, it's a little like, you know, Bad Batch did this kind of did this same scene right. and the Bad Batch did it better. Uh, right. So that's kind of where I am right now. Yeah, I, I like what they they did initially. I like, I mean, because I look at it from a samurai point of view, and I know my Western outlaw, all that kind of stuff, but I see him more as a samurai because I've got the sword, just kind of leans its way with the Jedi uh, sword. It just leans its way for me that way. He's a Ronin. He's you know, Jimbo. He's just hanging out on his own, and he's got the side of himself that's questioning things. Uh, not that Yojimbo did that, but in, in essence, he is a, a, a master of the samurai. And just kind of figuring out what he's going to do next, living his life, you know, you see the this and you can see in his face, which is what goes to Michael's point. The magnetic uh, nature of Ewan McGregor is brought about because he can play multiple levels on his face. You can see him with the guilt. You can see him with the pain, but you can also see him by like, really, this is my life now. This is what I've come to. There's all of that within his face. And, you know, I wanted to have a bit more resistance. And you're right. Maybe with six episodes. You can't get that because I would have loved a 10 episode series where the second episode is, you know, is Leia in super trouble and Kenobi is still refusing to do it. And then Owen and him have this real hardcore knockdown drag out uh, verbal exchange in Owen's house between him and Kenobi where they put everything on the table because Owen could be the one like the audience to say, why are you wanting to train this kid? You already messed it up. This exchange with his father was there, but I wanted something deeper. Like, you're not helping any of the Jedi. Why do you want to help this kid? What are you driven to do here? I thought you were retired. I thought you were done. Why are you doing this? And then something with Kenobi coming out and saying, you know, this is why. This is the, I owe Qui-Gon. I owe this, what have you. So I would like to see a bit more of that. But, you know, we've got six episodes. We'll see what happens. But I do enjoy him sliding into that Alec Guinness stuff. That is so just perfect no perfect the exchanges with leia are so sweet so believable the exchanges with the jawa as michael pointed out is just so naturally great the exchange he has with owen even he's not going to necessarily um you know kind of uh, uh, go at him in a public place and even after reva goes after owen and almost kills owen him coming out and saying thank you you know he takes owen's anger and doesn't return it. So you've got all of that here uh, um, bubbling under the surface or right there for you to enjoy this performance. Let's move on. Uh, you know, we talked about later a little bit, but let's let's pu let's put a pin in that for a little bit later. Let's move on to the Inquisitors. We've got um, we've got uh, Rupert Friend. We've got Moses Ingram. We've got Sung Kang here. Uh, and then uh, the other Inquisitor came up in the second episode. But you've got those are the three kind of main Inquisitors that we've seen with Reva really being the main one that we're focusing on. So Shannon, I go back to you. Overall, what did you think of the Inquisitors, and what did you think of Moses Ingram as Reva in this going after Kenobi? So, with Rupert Friends specifically, um, the, yeah. when we first saw the first uh, footage, the trailer, and mm -hmm. some folks were like, eh, I don't know how that looks. I mean, I think watching it in motion, watching um, 
several several scenes with Rupert Friend. I think I think I really like the way he looks. I think that that was mm-hmm. translated very well um, for the screen from from animation to live action. Um, in terms of performance, I think Rupert Friend's doing great. Um, yeah. I, I, it does look like uh, his costume and uh, Sun Kang's costume. Um, they look very cumbersome. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it it, it kind of leads to sort of a weird stiffness as they walk it doesn't look natural um that's not the actor's fault i mean that's just that's just the way the costume is built mm-hmm. uh in terms of performances i really like rupert friend i feel like um uh soon kang and moses ingram are very inconsistent mm-hmm. um there are moments that i like with soon kang and there are definitely moments that i like with reva um but overall there is a hollowness to some of her toughness, like yeah. it just doesn't feel quite believable. Now there are other there are other scenes like that moment where she has uh, Kumail Nanjiani up against the wall mm. when he's like, "I'm not going to tell you," and she's like, "I don't need you to." Like that to me, that was real. But as of right now, I mean, the performances are just a little inconsistent, and they're not the only ones. I mean, I'll throw Benny Safdie in there as well. I mean, I know that was a big deal when he got <laughs> cast. I thought he was terrible. Yeah. Um, and that opening scene felt like saved by the bell it felt like saved by the bell when it just it just wasn't it it wasn't good and that opening scene in the saloon and and i'll put this more on the writing um i wanted more inglorious bastards like i'm Mm. like there was a way to really ratchet up the tension here and they didn't quite do it and as soon as he escapes like (laughs) soon kang just kind of steps in front of him and he runs to the side i'm like that's come on and then he says prepare him for uh uh interrogation and he run you know reva goes to try to hit him with the with the lightsaber and inquisitor stops and he just runs the other way and i'm like this is so unimaginative like you have force wielders here like there's a way to make this action a little more just a little more dynamic yeah more more menacing and stuff yeah yeah i mean and just more creative i mean you know we get a little moses ingram Starcore, which you know which we saw in book of boba fett and it's (laughs) like i'm like i'm not against parkour and star wars but i'm like i'm against filming it poorly and that seems to be what they did i'm like if you want to make her look like she's incredibly fast i mean you have to put you have to position the camera better doing a big wide shot with her leaping over you know a little power trans or power transform like that's not how to do it like there, yeah. there's a way to do this better and to me deborah chow is really dropping the ball here wow all right strong statement there uh what do you think uh mike about the inquisitors about rupert friend mozingerson king and uh specifically reva as well what, what did you feel about all three of them well, I mean, overall, I do agree with Shannon that I think the action sequences or the potential for cool force moments and stuff, I feel like aren't the best part of these first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't bother me to the degree that they bother Shannon, but everything he's saying, like about that opening scene with the Inquisitors coming in and kind of like, it definitely has like shades of Inglorious Bastards, but could they have done more with it? Could they have used the force in more interesting ways? Because he's right, like, you know, that Jedi runs out and you know uh the brother goes after him and just is kind of like plodding through the street and yes that's because of the cumbersomeness of the costume and different things but there's probably ways that you could have done that stuff to be a bit more interesting like given everything that we got in those episodes it bothers me less than shannon but this is an area where i don't disagree with him mm-hmm. um as far as the inquisitors i agree with him 100 percent uh on the grand inquisitor i think you know i didn't have a huge issue with him in the trailer but seeing him in action I think that's a great translation. I Mm -hmm. think we all just have this Clone Wars animation style issue in that a character from the real world that gets turned into Clone Wars gets squished and becomes skinnier. And that's okay to us. But a 
animated character that is created in that style that gets ballooned out to regular size humans because we're in live action now. We're all like, that looks weird. And you're like, well, yes, it's going to look weird. That is what happens <laughs> when you adjust that animation style. So I think seeing him in action was great. I generally um, agree about Riva. Like, I wanted more. I think she. I think she is an amazing actress. Yeah. I think that she has some really good moments, but then there are moments where it just isn't, the menace isn't there or something is lacking a little bit. Now, some of this, to give them credit, could be once we know her full backstory, maybe contextually this makes more sense. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that that only gets you so far. I think that, like, she is definitely someone I want more from, um, particularly because there is this big mystery. I mean, I am assuming that she is the 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 young black youngling yeah. that we see at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I am assuming that all of the stuff that the Grand Inquisitor says to her about her uh, where they found her or where she's from is just like you're a dirty Jedi or you were a dirty Jedi in training, even though a lot of the other Inquisitors are too. So I'm curious as to like what her backstory is, why she knows as much as mm. she knows about Anakin and like, like there's definitely more to her. And maybe once we know that, it'll make more sense or her sort of not being as evil as we want. Like there's, you know, but I don't know. That's, that's definitely a weaker point, but uh, I'm intrigued to see where they go with that. Yeah. I, I'd say I, I, I like the idea of the Inquisitors coming in. I was excited for it. The opening of them. I think they should have just shot the thing opening and then boom, cut to the, uh, cut to the townspeople and then cut to them walking as we saw in the trailer. Them coming off the transport, look, no one looks cool coming off a transport. No one does. I'm sorry. No, it's tough. Even Kenobi had issues with that in, uh, in uh, um, uh, um, uh, the, uh, God, I can't remember it now. Revenge of the Sith. He had issues coming off the transport there to face Anakin. So no one looks cool coming off a transport. It's an awkward way. So I didn't understand why you would introduce because it made the costumes, as you said, Shannon, look cumbersome and weird. So that kind of was affecting me as I was watching the show. But the performances in the faces – with Rupert Friend, I liked, and with Sun King to a degree, I liked. I do agree he's a bit inconsistent in certain moments, although he didn't have that much to do. So we're focusing on Moses Inger. She's being pitched. She's in the press tour as the third lead, essentially, of this show. So you've got to step up to the plate. And, of course, she's a very talented actress. The issues here come with, there's, as Shannon mentioned, there's a little bit of hollowness or not 100% believability in the toughness. There's a fake toughness versus an authentic, organic toughness. And I think with Uber Friend, as good as he is in certain moments, the costume lets him down, and you've got to figure that out as a director and how to shoot it to make it seem as if he's a little more menacing than he needs to be. And yes, real quizzical decisions by him to let uh, that Jedi take off and let all that stuff to happen is like, doesn't make any sense. Why would you let him go? So, I, but I wonder as we're talking about it, it starts to occur to me that maybe we're asking too much of this series because it is essentially tied to attack to um, the prequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy, as they've said numerous times was made for kids. That's how they've kind of validated it now, even though this trade Federation stuff and younglings getting killed by, uh, Anakin, they pitched it as, well, this was made for children, and the children that are now in their 20s and 30s are the people who are, you know, telling everybody how great these prequels were, so maybe uh, adjusting the expectations is the approach here, I don't know, but I was hoping for a bit more menace from the Inquisitors, and certainly a bit more menace from Moses, and at the end there, when she's yelling at the transport as it's flying away, <laughs> so reminiscent to me of uh, uh, James Earl Jones, oh! You know, it's so reminiscent to me of that where it's not believable. Well, and you understand why they wanted that moment. It just didn't work. And her well, revealing just, 
one more thing. Sorry, Mike. We're her revealing yeah, right. that Anakin, you know, is still alive and is Vader. And I texted the, these two guys uh, on our thread about this. It lost weight because she wasn't that strong through the first two episodes. So when she reveals it, it is a, it feels almost like, oh, and this, too, as opposed to something to really dig into you. And even though you and Zach in the hell out of that moment, it just didn't quite have that weight that you were hoping to have. All right, Mike, sorry. No, I was gonna say that moment at the end because it really stuck out to me. Uh, just yeah. because I've been pl- I've been replaying Fallen Jedi uh, to get like hyped for Obi Wan because they take place in the same era. Yeah. And what is it? is the is the villain in Fallen Jedi the seventh sister? Is that yeah. is that yeah. the yeah the seventh sister? So like there is a moment at the beginning of Fallen Jedi where Cal like gets away on a transport. And the seventh sister, granted, it's a video game, but the seventh sister, like, literally <laughs> leaps off the platform and grabs the front of the ship. Oh, yeah, right. Like, and you're like, holy shit. And so when, when Moses Ingram just stood there, I was like, ah, it could have been a cooler <laughs> moment. So, I, yeah, there are those opportunities. I mean, I do want to address what you said about the whole, like, young versus old, because I think this is just a thing that will constantly happen with Star Wars. It yeah. also happens with Marvel. Like these brands that are, it's not just the Disney of it all, but now that these are these mega brands that are appealing to cross-generational, like both Marvel and Star Wars have this, there is a generation of us that grew up with it that are adults now. Yeah, yeah. And we love it. But there is an equally important, if not more so generation, who are like five to seven who are obsessed with Star Wars and Marvel. And so when Disney, Marvel, Lucasfilm make these decisions, there's we always we talk about it when it, we bring up the Punisher series. We talk about it with this. Like there is a constant push and pull between how dark an adult do you want to go and how kid friendly do you still have to be right. to appeal to everyone. But like my bar personally is in animation, like in Clone Wars animated, in Rebels, we definitely have some dark, oh, yeah. intense moments. Yes. And so I do feel like these series, these movies, everything can go that far. And so I think when we're talking about moments with uh, with Reva, moments with things like that, I do think there are ways that you can still be darker and more intense without going to the point where it's no longer kid appropriate. So it's right. it's definitely a balancing act. And I think for the most part, they do really well. But yes, there are these certain moments where we are sort of craving a little bit more. And, just, and if I if can add yeah. just one thing, yeah, go uh, talking about like the transport flying off and expecting Riva to leap on it, we've just watched her scale buildings. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you see the ship slowly hover above. Yeah, like, you're right. You, you, why, why didn't you jump on it? You, you clearly don't want him that bad. Yeah, you could have cut the transport door open. Yeah, there's a certain, <laughs> a certain you know, it's kind of missing logic or leaps in logic. You're just like, I, I don't understand uh, the point here. So, yeah, I, I, you know, um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I lost my point. So, all right, uh, let's move on. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Right. It happens. It's, it's, this is life. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we, we touched on it a little bit. We touched on it. Let's move on to Leia here. Um, such a fantastic job here. Oh, and by the way, it's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, not Fallen Jedi. I just want to make sure before people yes. come after you in the comments, Mike. Um, but yeah, Princess Leia here coming in. What a surprise. What a swerve here. What a smart way to solve the Luke problem, in my opinion. I like her. I think she's great. Did the chase scene do her any favors? Hell no. Uh, did casting Flea do her any favors? Even more hell no. Uh, and it really c- makes me call into question Reva's judgment that these are the three idiots she could find to go. And I mean, if she supposedly this, you know, this brutal, vicious uh, person who is constantly questioning the Grand Inquisitor and then stabs him at the end. Um, why would she choose these three uh, idiots, these bumbling morons to go after? And that's where we start to have the problem. Okay, now I remember my point. Disney needs to make up its mind. 
if they're going to do the 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 um child connective tissue with a little more darkness to it then say that in the promotion even in the lucasfilm panel when john watts came out they said skeleton crew it's the cast is a, you know a bunch of 11 to 14 year olds and he said but it's not a kid show like he made it really clear and it's like why is that becoming a horrible thing if you're actually trying to appeal to kids in your content Make up your mind because you're going to get criticized with the fact that you go kitty when you are pitching us dark. And so I think that needs to be addressed at some point because, Michael, you make a great point that as a business, it's logical to appeal to the younger and the older. Then, then embrace it. Stop trying to run away from well, it because you're, you're saying different things like I don't because I don't think that Star Wars or Disney yeah. uh, are saying we're going kitty. Like I don't think that well, fine. Obi Wan. I don't think Obi Wan Kenobi is kitty. I don't think Mandalorian is kitty. Well, they want to appeal to to the five appealing, to seven year olds. You're appealing saying. to a four quadrant audience yeah. is not the same as going kitty. And I think that's what they're being really clear about. Like mm. there are plenty of kids movies out there that are like 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 we're not going home alone with these movies. Like these are not movies that are like uh, when you have movies, an entire. But that's that second episode was Home Alone for the love of God. Not, Come on, though, in the, but it's in, really the not, in the woods. That was Home Alone like crazy. That's episode one. And look, but no, like saying a scene is not sorry, executed well. Saying a scene is not executed well, which I think everybody agrees that that chase yeah. scene was not executed well, yeah. uh, is one thing. But saying like, if this is not a goofy movie about, you know, a goofy series about Leia sticking it to those bounty hunters by setting some funny traps with her droid, like that would be Star Wars going kitty. Like this yeah. is still a, again, walking that balance between telling a darker, bigger story for the wider audience and still having those kid touch points and not going too dark. And that's what, that's why we all fell in love with Star Wars in the first place when we saw it when we were kids. True, very true, very true. But yeah, I just I feel like there are moments. Uh, maybe I'm I'm off base. Maybe other people don't feel this way as I do. But I feel there are moments where it becomes too much about catering to that. It too becomes too unbelievable, right? And as mm -hmm. Shannon pointed out uh, when we were talking, like um, the fact that they they could have shot that a lot better. The chase sequence and certainly the stuff with Flea on the ship and everything like that. And yes, he he destroy he steps on her droid doesn't apparently doesn't destroy it, but steps on her. But then Leia through that whole second episode just eluding Kenobi. You know, one second Kenobi is like literally a hand away from her, and then she's like uh, you know way fifty feet in front of him climbing up the ladder. That kind of oh, jumping over the buildings. I and mean, I get yeah. that we have to make Leia. You know, this great thing. I get it. And it's great that you're doing it. But let's make it believable what you're doing in showing her badassery. And I didn't 100% feel that way. Michael, there, you talk about. Oh, sorry, Shannon. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a there's a way to shoot that stuff. Like, obviously, yeah. this, this you know, this is a little girl. Um, she, it doesn't seem like they really, like, the stunt coordinator showed her how to run. Um, and it's like, okay, if she has a, if she has a yeah, funny or, run. Or she naturally runs that way, yeah. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, okay. if that's the way she naturally runs and it doesn't look great on camera, you can shoot around that. There are ways to do that. Fair. Um, they just didn't do it. And again, thinking of the woods, like that moment where the camera is, is stationary and you see a branch she runs over it and you see the the i think they're she's a failing yeah. uh the failing alien running i'm like she's not going to run into that branch <laughs> and she runs right into it it's like okay there's a way to do this you're just not doing it mm -hmm. but overall the performance is great so michael what, oh, what do you fully think? embodies leah yeah, yeah well, right? fully embodies leah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah her performance is great and i mean like and to your point john like i think there is a distinction between 
something not being executed well and something done with the intention of being like, this is silly and it's for kids. And I think when we talk about the chase scene or what you were just talking about in episode two with her on the, on the edge of the building and everything being built up, like there was a lack of tension in the way that things were shot. There was like maybe showing things in a way that didn't make, didn't do the actors any favors. And I think that is a, technical issue more than it is a tonal what we were going for issue mm-hmm. all that being said i think that girl playing lay is amazing yeah. like she definitely embodied this princess leia vibe in a way that was such an absolute joy and like in general to me with everything that i was excited about seeing with this series the idea that we were going to get to spend a significant amount of time on Alderaan, really spend time with Leia's parents, have these wonderful moments between Bail Organa and a young Leia, like, this is all just, like, gravy to me. This is stuff that, like, I wasn't expecting to see. Yeah. I didn't think I would ever get to see in live action as a Star Wars fan. And seeing it was great. And, like, topping it all off with just this great performance. And, you know, like, I was talking to some friends about it. She has that exact right vibe of this is the same girl that in a few years is going to be like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? And then say, get yeah. that walking carpet out of my way. Like there is a, we love, we love Princess Leia as this badass, awesome general and this fighter in the rebellion. But when we first meet her in New Hope, she has some princess qualities to her that yeah. are really fun. And the fact privilege. that they kind of, yeah. yeah and the, and the, yeah, some princess <laughs> privilege. And the fact that they managed to make her, you know, you see that she has this great uh, observational ability in the way that she can dress down people and see them. You see those things that are going to make her amazing, but you still see that she's this little kid. Like when Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, put this on and he tries to buy that robe and then she's putting on the gloves and he's like, you don't need those gloves. And then he's like, we'll take the gloves. Like it was just like those little moments were so great. Um, And then for me, and as, as for most people, like looking at Twitter, like that moment where she is like, we need to go do this. Come on. You know, I can't believe you don't think you have any friends. And she starts marching off and Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, you really remind me of somebody, yeah, a friend of mine. And she was stubborn too. And she's like, I'm not stubborn. And she yeah. was like, you know, it was your friend. She was like, she was a leader. She was this. I, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I, for someone who doesn't have a strong love for the prequels, you still managed to hit me right in the gut with a Padme moment. And I took it hook, line, and sinker. Like, just those those are the things that make what they're doing magic. Their ability to take these reference points from one trilogy and another trilogy and weave them together in these series as they're sort of mixing it in the timeline. Like, that was a golden, golden moment. And that made it all worth it to me. Like, it was just great. Fair enough. Uh, Shannon, uh, more to say on, on Leia and uh, Vivian Lynn Blair? No, I mean, I mean, she's she's great. She she's doing a really really great job. Again, I think I think there are moments that maybe they didn't get the strongest take. Um, like the moment she's like, you know, Jedi Jedi can make things float, make me float, and she does that little twirl. I'm like, eh, that doesn't seem to line up with how how she's been established and how we see her after that. Yeah. Um, but the you know the moment where or obi-wan says you know if anyone asks we're farmers you're my daughter and her granddaughter maybe. <laughs> granddaughter maybe. i mean that was a great that was a great take that she had yeah yeah I, yeah i mean i agree with you mike and shannon I mean, she absolutely encapsulates leia it was one of the most wonderful surprises 
in these first two episodes to see here from the beginning. You know, the fact that they were dressing a fake thing kind of alludes to to Padme, uh, to Padme you know, using that <laughs> when it was uh, Kira Knightley and I think uh, Keisha Castle Hughes who did it in the prequel. So that was great to kind of allude to that. Her running off into the forest uh, and the things that, you know, she finding she, adventure, all of that, talking to her droid, wanting more. Very reminiscent to Luke in a different way, right? Luke yeah. wants more in the two sons because he knows he's wanted more because he's living a hard scrabble life. With Leia, she's wanting more because she feels she's destined for more. There's a difference there in the approach and her coming up in a richer, wealthier kind of situation allows that feeling to have even more power, more weight in her mind, more feeling of a righteousness to it. But the, there are such great, sweet moments. I mean, when she has to, when uh, uh, Bale talks to her about having to apologize to her cousin, when she's talking about not feeling like a full Organa, I have a feeling that when Reva turns good, and I imagine she will turn good, that's my guess, it'll be because there's a connective tissue between Leia feeling like she's not part of the Organa and Reva feeling like she's not part of the Inquisitors, that kind of questioning of their placements. It could be something that comes into play. And so I liked that. It was a very sweet exchange, and she had sweet exchanges with Kenobi throughout. You guys have mentioned a bunch of them that are really, really great. Uh, and I loved, you know, so I like this energy and her dressing down her cousin, you're right. That's absolutely how we're getting the shades of Leia that are going to be so useful going forward. And so I, I love that they found the right moments to drop those bombs. And they were brilliant bombs, let me tell you. All right, well, let's move on to the other stuff, the other um, ancillary characters here. Did we like Kumail Nanjani? Did we like um, Benny Safdie? Did we like Flea? Did we like uh, the other uh, characters that are popping up here, the younger uh, kids who are uh, working that uh, con game there with uh, Kumail Nanjani? Did we like the world and the characters that are inhabiting it right now. Um, uh, Shannon, I'll go back to you. Benny, I mean, I've already covered, like Benny Safdie, I thought was like, this is, yeah. <laughs> one, you didn't need Benny Safdie for this role. You could have given this, you could have cast anyone in this role. And yeah. he did, and he Especially did you no favors. Die. Yeah. And with Flea, like, I don't necessarily think Flea did a bad job, but I mean, it's impossible for him to show up on screen and people not to go, Hey, it's flea. Like I, like I think, is there, is there a stronger actor out there? 100%. Was his performance terrible? No, but he is never going to be over as an actor. He's not going to be able to overcome the fact that he's flea. Like that's just, that's Let me just tell you something. I mean, plenty of singers have been able to overcome that. They're not the singers. When I, they no, 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 Lady Gaga, case in no, point. no, 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 I'm not saying a singer can't do it. I'm okay. saying he can't Oh, you're saying Flea's natural. Okay. <laughs> yes. Is it like I Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones? Is that what you, you think? You can't have Flea's look and go by the name Flea yeah. and show up on Fair. screen and have anyone say, accept you other than that. Like that. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but but for me, I'm like, oh, no, this will always be, you will always be Flea. Now, to, the, to Kumail, now, Kumail Nanjiani, he's really funny. And yes. this is the exact same shtick that he has done many times before. And maybe folks, maybe folks really liked it. For me, I'm kind of like, oh, you've done this already. Um, it was entertaining. Like, I'm curious a version of this scene where we don't lean into the comedy, where we don't tip our hand to the audience that this guy is a fake Jedi. Because for the audience, it is so apparent because yeah. he's he's hitting the, the beats of the jokes. Like, oh, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's just so clear. Like... And it's such a quick character turn for him after Kenobi busts him. And then he immediately goes out and helps. It's like, again, I would like to have seen a little more justification of like, 
Like, yes, did I deceive that family? Yes. Did I charge them more than I should have? Yes. But you don't understand what it's like living here. This is what we have to do since the empire has come into power. Right. The kid, like I didn't get the, the actor's name. That kid I loved. Yeah, Cause I'm I like, oh my God, you're like the artful Dodger. I mean, like you could have had an artful Dodger kind of Fagin vibe with the two of those characters. And I think it would have been a little stronger, but that moment, and again, this is not, this is not Moses Ingram's fault. This is the writing. The moment that uh, uh, Haja confronts her, like, ah, yes, I'm the Jedi. What's the bounty up uh, on me too? Moses Ingram, one episode ago, lopped the lady's hand off because she dared to voice an opinion. (laughs) Now with uh, Kumail, she basically slams him, gets the information and walks off and leaves him. And I'm like, that is inconsistent with what you have established. And again, this is not Moses Ingram's fault. Like that moment where she actually pulls the information out of his head. I actually really like that. I thought she did a really good job there. But that is where that is where I think there are some weaknesses being attributed to the character. That is not the actor's fault. Yeah, fair enough. Mike, your thoughts on the ancillary characters or the ensemble characters, rather, should I say, uh, in these first two episodes, kind of fleshing out the world a little bit? What did you think about them uh, overall? Yeah, I tend to be a little bit more forgiving of actors and then put it more on the writing. So even with Flea, uh, who I don't think was great, um, oh, like I do think that just those those roles are kind of not giving you a lot of levels to play. I mean, there's not a lot going on with those guys other than we're a bunch of shitty bounty hunters or, you know, like kidnappers for hire that are doing what uh, we've been hired to do. And he does fine with the moments he's given. Like, I don't know that he he probably could have played it in a more subtle way or, you know, a different actor could have done, brought a few more levels to it. Um, but with Kumal Nanjiani too, like, I think he did a great job. I, I am someone who enjoys his shtick. So when he shows up <laughs> and he does what I expect him to do, I, I thought he was really funny, but I agree with Shannon that his turn yeah. did seem pretty sudden. I liked his turn. I'm like, that's a cool choice. I like that. He's actually, you know, he's a, he's a con man, but he's actually a decent human being. That's cool. And then with, uh, with Riva not killing him, I definitely clocked that as well. And I do think this is a place where when you're reading through a script, and you're giving notes, that's definitely an area where I'm like, look, I'm assuming we want him to live for reasons, whether those reasons apply to we, he's going to come back and be important later in these six episodes. And we're going to find out that he really does have some low level force power, or he is just a really fun con man in the star Wars universe. And we want to keep him around or whatever. If we want to keep him around, that's fine. But then give me a reason, like Reva's about to kill him, but then she sees Obi-Wan, or the Grand Inquisitor shows up, or stormtroopers come around. Like, like give me something where she was about to do exactly what we saw her do to that woman on Tatooine, but then something gets in her way, and she's like, oh, I don't have time for this. Like, you know, and and like force pushes him, uh, you know, up, up against the wall. Like, there's ways to keep things moving, because like, look, they definitely have an issue of wherever they're trying to get wherever they're trying to get to this Dio adventure, they had to get that into 40 minutes. So a lot of the things that people are critiquing of, you know, you get to the planet and you're like, well, you're never going to find her. And then he's like, yep, I found her. (laughs) Found her. She's in that building right there. All right. Well, these are a bunch of bad guys with spice. Nope. Figured it out. Found her again. (laughs) You know, like, so like you get, and then like, so all the things that happen, those beats, you know, like, oh, well, Reva's going to chase him. This is going to happen. We're going to have this shootout, but then this shootout apparently on the rooftops just kind of ends. Um, you know, that droid that was shooting at you just kind of stops shooting so that you yeah. can go get 
to uh, Leia, but then that guy's going to show up again. So it's like there's just some like basic blocking things where you're like, ah, could have smoothed out the edges. But all that being said, everything that happened, once you step away from the execution, I was like, yeah, this all roughly makes sense. So with these characters, like, I don't think that any of the incidental characters had a chance to shine. I think Kumal Nagiani as this sort of con man Jedi probably fares the best. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. Right. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith's, granted, he's played Bail Organa for a while. Oh, yeah. But he's really about Nobody, if you had told me when Revenge of the Sith came out <laughs> that all these years later, I would still be excited every time I see Jimmy Smith show up in a Star Wars movie. I would have told you you're crazy. And yet here we are. Like, yeah. I was like, there he is. And, you know, Leia's mom getting some more attention. Like, I yeah. think those, like like uh, Leia's cousin, like there were other roles that weren't sort of these big featured roles where I, like, I felt they all did really nice and sort of fit right into the Star Wars universe. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see as we continue to go. Yeah, I agree with that. I, 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 yeah, I've got my issues with Benny Safdie. I didn't mind Kumail and Johnny. It was more about the turn. I agree with you on that end, Michael. Um, I mean, you, you know what you're going to get with Kumail, right? It's like going to Tom Cruise and uh, going to a Tom Cruise movie and expecting him to play something other than Tom Cruise. He doesn't do that. And he's great at being Tom Cruise. And so I, I love that. And so I enjoy that about Kumail. But if you're going to put him in there, make it a little more believable. Kumail can play. I mean, and I wonder if we've hit the limits because even, even in Eternals, we didn't get that kind of thing that you wanted to really get. He just kind of disappeared in the final battle. And I got to have answers for that. So it's just, just an interesting thing to cast him in this role. And he was very, very proud to be part of this uh, franchise, of course, and and what have you. And it was great to see his joy. But you you, you hope something more is coming down the road because when he turned good, I thought there were – or like when he helped them, I thought there were some nice layers here when he was explaining why he does yeah. the things that he does. So I hope there's more of that to come and explain maybe he was a youngling or a former uh, someone who's being trained very early on when order 66 was called maybe that's a possibility as well yeah the safety stuff anybody could play especially if you're going to kill him off anybody could have played that it really was a waste of time the flea situation i can't go as far with you as with you shannon i that was terrible uh, any i think any uh, i think there are a bunch of five and under actors who watched flea and go I would have murdered that scene. And this idiot is getting because his name is fucking Fleet. And that's where I think of the problem sometimes lies in the casting of when situations like this, because you've immediately made it not threatening. Immediately. No one is scared of Flea. He wasn't even the leader of the nihilists in Lebowski. So not even the leader of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nobody fears Flea. There could have been someone else they chose that would have still had that little bit of comedic element to it um, uh, and bumbling element to it, but would have also had a little more menace to it. I think that's where they could have done a better job in the casting situation. I think Disney sometimes and Star Wars, too, just kind of defaults into let's just do something winky funny, you know, and I think yeah. it kind of can undercut the um uh, the weight of the scenes that you're uh, wanting to have with someone like that. Um, but I like the, I liked the worlds. Uh, I, I want to swing back to that and get you guys thoughts on that. I think Dave was really well set out. Yes. Was there, you know, you're not going to find her and yes, you found her, but I liked that the, the thing was set up really well. Yes. It has shades of blade runner, but it's definitely not blade runner. Maybe it reminded me of like where the Martez sisters were in Clone Wars season seven of Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah. It definitely feels like lower levels of Coruscant to it. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. It had that vibe to it. And Tatooine, I think, looked completely different from that ground level than what we see in Book of Boba Fett and what we saw in A New Hope. And I like that, too. I like that element to it uh, overall. What did you guys think of the worlds as they were constructed, Mike? Um, 
I think, you know, I was talking to somebody, uh, one of our friends, Brian Leonard, was taught, we were texting each other, and it was like, with Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, Leonard, yeah. uh, notes Leonard, but no, we were saying, <laughs> with Obi-Wan Kenobi, it just really feels like we're not even in TV territory anymore. Like, even as beautiful and yeah. glorious as Mandalorian was, kind of the episodic nature of Mandalorian made it feel like, oh, yeah, this is a TV series. And Book of Boba Fett, for lots of reasons, didn't quite... When it was at its best, it felt epic, but it also yeah. felt sort of TV-ish sometimes. This thing starts and you're like, this is a feature. This is a yeah, feature. Yeah, like, yeah. This just looks like whether, you know, despite any like story issues or little quibbles, like it looks gorgeous. I think Tatooine looked amazing. It yeah. looked epic and sweeping. Alderaan was beautiful. Dio was great. Although I will say that there are moments and I think maybe this gets to Shannon's action notes. Um Dio out of the three, I loved the artistic direction of it. I loved the vibe of it. I think it's a really, really cool addition to the Star Wars universe. It's the one place where I started to feel like I was seeing the limits of what the volume can do. Oh, fair enough. Like there's definitely this sort of vibe of like, I'm seeing a bunch of people walking in the foreground and then I see this huge, gorgeous city in the background, but you can sort of feel the divide in the way yeah. it was shot a little bit. That's a good point. Um, and even with the rooftops and them looking around, it's like, and look, this is us just being fucking spoiled at this point. This looks better than anything else I'm seeing on TV. Like, I'm not I'm not knocking Dio. I'm not saying it looks like the sets on Wizard of Oz or anything. But How dare you? It's, it's still gorgeous, <laughs> but it's the one place where I was like, I'm starting to look at it. And because we've seen three series now that take place in the volume, you're sort of like, yeah, okay. I can kind of see them. They're marching towards that background, but we're going to cut out, right? Yep. Okay. They cut out there, you know, like, so like it was a little bit more noticeable, but that being said, I loved it. I thought it was, a, I, you know, Dio out of, felt like the most like seeing, and I'm, this is a compliment, seeing a Clone Wars animated episode come to life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shannon, thoughts? Yeah. Tatooine and, and Alderaan, especially like, I love the fact that we saw Alderaan um, yeah. in live action. Like I thought Tatooine and yeah, Alderaan was really look really good. I love the design of, of Dio, but I mean, I do agree with Vogel. Um, it's the the sparse population that you can put in that stage when they're doing that. It is very noticeable. And there were a couple, like especially the uh, Spice Lab set to me, I thought it looked, I thought it looked pretty chintzy. Um, I was like, this, this is giving me early 2000s sci-fi series vibes. Yeah. Um, but everything around it, I thought actually looked pretty good. But I mean, you definitely can you definitely can see the limitations of, of what is probably possible. And also because we haven't talked about this scene yet. Um, yeah. I love the, I love the Jedi temple scene at the beginning. I mean, and I oh, think that's, yes. that's where the, that's where, because that scene, the way the, the, the way that Deborah Chow moved the camera in that scene, it just perfectly captured the chaos of a moment like that and it was just so well choreographed and i think because they started up here like oh my god that looks great and everything else has been kind of down here so um even though yes i am dinging the action a lot because that's the thing that sticks out to me um i'm fingers crossed that they haven't used all their bullets yet that they have a few more of those sequences in the chamber ready to go mm-hmm in that blaster of, uh, of Obi-Wan's. Um, yeah, I, I like the design. As I already said, Tatooine, I liked it. But Alderaan, yes, deserves special because there's a tragic aspect to that, right? Yeah. It's such a beautiful planet, and you're seeing the concern, and you're like, all these people they're waving at are going to be dying very, very soon. And so it's heartbreaking to kind of look at that and and, and kind of consume it. But I, I, I like that, that that element is there. And they did a nice job. You're right, Mike. There's limits to the volume for sure. But um, I think they've done a really excellent job of trying to bring these areas to life. 
Um, I also, I also oh, just really quickly yeah. on Alderaan because like I, it, it really is so smart. And I mean, if you've read like the Leia book or any right. of the comics, like when they describe Alderaan, like it is a gorgeous, beautiful place, which does make it tragic. But something about seeing it in real, like in, in like fully realized, really does just make what happens in New Hope suck. And it also just reinforces another little connection between Leia and Padme because like Alderaan and Naboo yeah. are by a mile the prettiest planets in the Star Wars universe. Fair point. Like they yeah. are. And so, like, just seeing, like, where Leia grew up and, like, watching Padme on, on Naboo, like, these, like, connections between mother and daughter that they're managing to build for two characters that never really get to interact or meet each other, with, with, meet each other I think is really, really smart and strong stuff. Fair enough. All right, one last thing, because I know we got to go. Uh, uh, story, any issues with the story overall? Are you happy with the story overall? Uh, do you like where it's going? Uh, Michael, I go back to you as, as uh, kind of, you know, you being a showrunner, you're aware of all the different elements coming together at the end. Yeah, the, like only the, place, the only place where I like, it's, these are like the big questions moving forward. Like mm-hmm. in the first episode, the only thing that really bugged me out of everything, uh, chase, chase scene aside, is that, uh, <laughs> is that, is that Reva sort of hired these guys to kidnap Leia to bring Obi? Like that is that is a level of information. Like this relationship that Obi Wan and I know in the second episode she says to the Inquisitor, like, "Well, I found something in the archives about a relationship." But like, Bail Organa is literally pretending that he is not, like he's starting the rebellion. He's keeping things really close to the vest. Yeah. And this relationship that he has with Obi Wan Kenobi is very, very, very like. The fact that, and again, it was a, we need to move this plot forward. We need to get Obi-Wan Kenobi to go. So I I understand why they did it, but that rang a little bit mm, to me on a story level. And then that leads into like the big question that everybody has, which is they've really done like a 180 on us. Like we all assumed that Darth Vader thought Obi-Wan Kenobi was dead and that Obi-Wan Kenobi knew who Darth Vader was. And as Shannon pointed out when we were discussing it at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi watch the video footage yeah. of Palpatine being like, rise, Lord Vader. And then Yoda says, Anakin is gone. He's been consumed by Darth Vader. So this moment where Obi-Wan Kenobi is shocked when Reva is like, Darth Vader is wants to see you. Yes, Anakin Skywalker is still alive is, A, the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi didn't know this seems shocking to mm. everybody. So there's a lot more information that we need out of that. And B, that Reva just has this information that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker so casually available to her in something yeah. that seems like that's like a thing that very few people know in the way that they've established this. So those are some big questions. And then, of course, the other big question is like, WTF Grand Inquisitor. Like, yeah, we know that a Grand Inquisitor that looks a lot like this Grand Inquisitor is going to be around in Rebels. Right. <clears throat> we all assumed this was the same guy. Maybe he is the same guy. Maybe we're going to see in the next episode he shows up to Reva and is like, ah, bitch, thought you stabbed me. Like, I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. But, uh, but that's a big question. So the way they're handling this Anakin... Obi-Wan relationship and who knows what, when, how, why. Those are some big questions that like, I think me along with everybody went, wait, what? But I feel like those are questions that are so big that they have to have answers to them. So I think these are the things that going into these next four episodes, they're either going to handle this really well and we're all going to go, okay, I see. Or we're going to get to the end and we're going to be like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Fair enough. Uh, Shannon, thoughts on story overall? Um, so far, I mean, the the 
Anakin Obi-Wan thing, the, the, the revelation. Again, it's like, I, I get that, like, Tatooine is way out on the outer rim. Like, no information gets out there. Has Darth Vader been in hiding for 10 years? And it surprised me that Bail Organa doesn't know that Anakin is Darth Vader. Like, you would have assumed that in yeah. any of his, con- like, I guess he and Obi-Wan haven't, haven't chatted a whole lot. But you would have thought, he's like, oh, by the way, Anakin's going by Darth Vader. He's dead. Um, and Bale would be like, nope, he's alive. He's around. He's got a black cape. And he's got yeah, a mask you imagine, now. You imagine over 10 years, they'd have some kind of conversation about it. Yeah. You fair. would think some of this information would have gotten out to Tatooine. But if that's the conceit they're going with, that's the conceit they're going with. I mean, as a viewer, I find like with when, when you might have sort of a story speed bump, I feel like I'm pretty forgiving. Like I didn't love Hawkeye until episode three. And then I was fully on board Hawkeye. Like the, the issues that I had with the first two episodes, I'm like, yeah, done. So my hope is that even though I did have some, you know, there, there were some things that stuck out to me. Uh, my hope is that from here on in, they just they just are hitting home run one after the other because you, I love seeing you and McGregor and I hope we get to see more of uh, Joel Edgerton because I really like yeah. their dynamic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I do really quick, John, I just want yeah. to, on the Darth Vader of it all, like, but there is like, like in Rebels, when Darth Vader shows up, which takes place significantly later than this does, when Darth Vader comes out it's in season two, Kanan and Ezra aren't like, oh shit, it's Darth Vader. Right. They're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, I think we That's have true. this we have this understanding that Darth Vader is like ruling the galaxy as space Hitler, and everybody knows, oh shit, it's Darth Vader. But I do think this is part of what they're getting into, and like it'll be interesting to see, like, well, Anakin Obi-Wan. As far as like knowing what he knew of like rise Darth rise Lord Vader, yeah. he left Anakin stumped and burning on the ground, which right, which right. was a stupid move. Like, and you're my best friend, I love you. Let me leave you to burn. But that being aside, <laughs> like, so I think his assumption that he's dead, if there's not more information, like I think knowing what has been going on with Anakin for this ten years yeah. and where he's been and what happens that leads to the guy that is leading. Uh, the Empire in space, I think this is some information that we are going to dive into more. So it'll be interesting to see. I agree. Yeah, I like the story the way it's been laid out, but I do have the questions that you guys have, absolutely. And I want to see more of how we're going to weave Leia into this. Are we done with Leia? Is Leia going to come in in certain spots? I want to see more of that. And what's the Reva story? Why is she so willing to violate the Grand Inquisitor's rules and ignore him? You would imagine there would be repercussions for that that are strong. And I have a feeling that it's because Vader has kind of pulled her aside and said to her, blah, 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 blah. And it may have been because she was a youngling. I don't know. It may have been that she he feels he can manipulate her uh, and use her as essentially like an extra spy here to go and get Kenobi and what have you, which we've seen Vader do in the comics. And we've seen Vader do in other in other mm-hmm. media where he pulls certain people aside. Certainly the Afro situation is something you can throw in there as well. So I, I want to see some of that kind of play out as we get uh, going in the over these next four episodes. And the next one drops on Wednesday. All right. That's our spoiler review here for the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hope you guys enjoyed that very much. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, 
It is at the Roca says. Mikey? Um, if you like talking chase scenes, star core, and flea kidnapping little children in a galaxy far, far away, we are the place for you. Um, and here is what you guys can do to help us keep talking about those amazing things. Hit the like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Um, leave your comments below. Like, did we miss anything? What did you love? What did you hate? Where do you think we're going with Reva? Where do you think we're going with this Anakin Obi-Wan stuff? Like, let us know your thoughts below. We actually really love hearing what you guys have to say. Um, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere podcasts are available. Leave us some stars. Leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings so more people find our geeky little content over here for to people to check out. Um, and there's always the best thing you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, spread it to your friends, and tell everybody to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. And one more uh, question. One word answer, please. Obi-Wan theme. One word answer. Decent. Oh, damn. Mikey? Um, how do I say in one word that I want to wait and see how it marinates with me by the end? <laughs> All right, jury's out. That'll be the one. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emoji. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and uh, I will say I liked it, but I was hoping for something a slightly more epic, but maybe I was asking too much. Uh, and thanks, big thanks to Carbon Health. Thank you so much for sponsoring us here at Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation as well. Go to CarbonHealth.com. Go see if you've got any kind of health issues going on. They will take care of you and tell them the Geek Buddies sent you. Go to that app that they have for Carbon Health as well in case any emergency health stuff happens where you're someplace and you need to get seen immediately. You can look, reach out to them and see if they've got a physical location or some virtual care they can offer you on the spot there. So go and go to CarbonHealth.com. Go and tell them the Geek Buddies sent you. Go and get tested for COVID as well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here on The Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.